Now, so far we have outlined the book. We have studied the seven churches. John has been caught up into heaven. He's allowed to see the one sitting on the throne. He's been focusing on the one sitting on the throne. And now his attention has been shifting and noticing this scroll that's in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And as we ended last time, we had opened up four of the seven seals on that scroll. Remember the first scroll or the first seal, I should say, deals with peace and a time of peace. Seal number two deals with war and peace will be taken from the earth. Seal number three deals with famine and number four deals with death. And now we're coming to new material tonight as we think about the opening of the fifth and the sixth and even the seventh seal tonight. Notice seal number five, Revelation chapter six and verse nine. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Now notice the image here. The image is souls under the altar, and the message that is being communicated here is these represent the slain remnant. What we have here, and one of the things we know about the book of Revelation and the tribulation period of the book, is that there will be people saved during the tribulation period. We'll talk more about who those people might be and who the people that will not have that opportunity, but there will be people who have the opportunity to be saved during the tribulation period. Now, in case you happen to be one of those people, well, you need to say, well, I'll just wait till then. I would encourage you, don't wait until then. That's not the plan you should implement. Notice here these slain are the result of a great evangelistic effort that happens during the tribulation period. These folks give their lives to Christ, and as a result then, they are also slain. So they have given their lives to Christ. They're now vibrant followers of the Lord, but they are killed shortly after that. We do know that around our world there are people who give their lives to Christ. They are disowned by their families, and shortly thereafter, many times they are killed. And so it certainly happens in our day, and it's going to happen in the future. Now notice the two reasons why they're slain here. They're slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And so these are folks who were true to the word. They heard the gospel shared by an evangelistic witness They gave their lives to Christ, and so they are genuine believers saved during the tribulation period, but as a result of their testimony, they are also slain. Now, one of the things we found earlier on in in the opening up of these seven seals is there's a period of peace that happens during the opening of the first seal. And one of the things that we could say is that probably this slain remnant, are many of them are killed during that time of peace. And so you might think, How can a time of peace result in death for some Christians? Well, in the world's eyes, the way to have peace and quiet is to get rid of the Christian, to silence the Christian. And so evidently there's going to be an effort in the future, even though there are people who will give their lives to Christ during the tribulation period, the world will not want their witness, the world will not want their their voice, and so they will be slain. Notice also their cry. Notice in verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you judge and avenge our blood? The cry here is, when will they be judged? 
And when will our deaths be avenged? So those are the cries that come forth of the souls under the altar. But notice also in verse 11 the gifts that they're given. They're given two gifts. The gifts that they're given are white robes. We have seen this over and over again. And they're also given words of assurance. Notice verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now, the, the, it wouldn't be, be very much assurance for those who are still alive and not yet martyred, but those who have been martyred, there are words of, of assurance here that your blood will be avenged, there will be a judgment, there will be people who will be held accountable for what's going to happen, and you just need to rest a little while longer. Then we have the opening of the sixth seal. Chapter 6, verse 12. And I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who will be able to stand? Now notice here we have the image of a great earthquake, and the message here symbolizes total anarchy. Total anarchy on the earth. Now what we have here is we think about this great earthquake. We have already studied in our time together Several of the cities in the churches, the, the studies that we made in chapters 2 and 3, we found several of those cities that were decimated as a result of earthquakes. Here we have the scriptures speaking of a great earthquake, and as a result, the whole solar system, that, as we know of it, is convulsing and going to react to this great earthquake and this, this work that, that God is going to allow to happen. Now, the word earthquake here is the word seismos, where we get the word seismograph. And I don't know if any of you all have ever been through an earthquake. I've been through a couple of tremors, and I can remember those, but I've never been through a full earthquake. This is a great earthquake. And so we're going to look at some of the ways that it's going to affect our solar system. Notice the result there. Notice page two of your outline. We're just going to kind of walk down through, and I've pretty much listed them for you there on your study guide. But if you want to jot down any notes, you're certainly welcome to do so. Notice, first of all, the effects on the solar system. The sun becomes black as sackcloth of hair. Sackcloth was a, was a bag that was made out of the black hair of a goat and is actually used to carry things. And people would actually wear sackcloth in times of mourning. Here, our solar system has all been in, in just the result of this earthquake and this work that, that God is doing here, it becomes black as sackcloth of hair. The moon becomes like blood and the stars of the heaven fall to the earth. Now, this is major. Now, one of the things as you write down, if you want to jot down Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, one of the things we find in the Colossian letter is our Lord Jesus Christ is viewed there as the one who is holding all things together. In fact, let me just share with you what those words are. It says, for him, this is in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by him 
All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dimensions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. That's the phrase I want you to think of, in Him all things consist. The idea that is painted here and the, and the truth that is painted in Colossians 1 is our Lord Jesus Christ right now, as we are here assembled, He is personally, dynamically, practically holding our universe together. In Him, all things consist. That means to hold together, to stick together. Now, years ago, many, many years ago, some of our ancestors, our forefathers, believed that our solar system, our planets and everything, were that God created them, threw them out into space, and wound up this universe like a top, and just let it go, and it's been running on its own, there's nothing further from the truth. God is very actively, dynamically involved in every part of our lives. And what's interesting is all the Lord Jesus needs to do to cause this to happen is just to take away His restraining hands, and everything will fly apart. What we see here in this message, rather than trying again, pick, a, pick the pieces, each particular aspect is, it's His controlling hand that keeps everything moving in the way it's working right now. The pagan scientists refer to this, this substance that keeps everything in, in place. They call it cosmic glue. They don't want to refer to it as God's control. They certainly don't want to refer to it as the Lord Jesus Christ. But they say something is keeping all this stuff in order. Something is keeping our planet revolving around the sun and our moon around our, our planet and all the other planets. Something's keeping that happening, and they call it cosmic glue. Paul says it's the Lord Jesus who keeps all things together. And so we see we need His power and His authority each and every day. Secondly, notice its effect on the atmosphere in verse 14, and talks about how the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. Now the image here is that of a scroll being opened up, and if you imagine... You've been through vacation Bible school and Sunday school. You know what a scroll looks like when you take some paper and you roll it all together. And then you open it up. And the picture here is what would happen if you took a sharp knife or a sword and you cut that scroll right down the middle and how the two sides would just curl back left and right. That's the image that's painted here and what's going to happen to our atmosphere one day. Its effect on the landscape. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Imagine. This is, this is much bigger than buildings falling down and little cracks in the sidewalk. This is, this is huge. And so we're talking about a significant work here. Number four there, notice the people who will be affected. Here we have the seven conditions of life governing the whole fabric of society. And as you look at those seven, we could talk about what each one of those delineations are there, but simply those seven there would indicate all society from kings down to slaves and everybody in between. And notice the reaction by the people. I want you to notice this in verses 15 and 16. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the mighty men, the rich men, notice what they said in verse 16. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us, from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Notice we have these folks making a cry out. They are in such desperate situation. They are crying out, calling out. Notice the three peculiarities that I see here 
in verse 16. If you want to jot these down. First of all, they are making a spiritual request. You see that verse 16? And they said, and that means to make a request, to call out. They're making a request, a spiritual request. If you will, they are, they are praying. How ironic it is that here we have people who have rejected and rejected and rejected the call of God. They have rejected the call to acknowledge God. And yet in the end, they're making a request. Their motto might be, when all else fails, pray. In the end, but notice, not only are they making a request, they're not praying to God. Notice, the one that could help them, the only one that could provide them any kind of salvation or safety or security, they're not praying to Him. Who are they praying to? They're praying to the rocks and the hills. They're praying for the mountains. Notice verse 16, instead of the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. If, if you can understand what I'm saying here, they're actually praying to Mother Nature. Well, that curls the, back, the hair on the back of my neck. When I hear news people and weathermen refer to God as Mother Nature, that's what these guys are praying to. They're not praying to God. They're praying to the rocks, the mountains, and the hills. But also they're making an insane request. Their request is, hide us from the one. Hide us. For the great day of, the, of, of God is, is common. Who will be able to stand? Friends, I'm going to tell you, you can't hide from God. You can't get mountains and hills and rocks to cover you up and hide you from the presence of God. David said in Psalm 139, 7, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? David would say there isn't a place. You can't run. You can't hide from God. And God is letting them know they can't do that. And notice the last few words here. Let's read verse 16 one more time. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne, and notice, and from the wrath of the Lamb. How ironic. The wrath of a Lamb. They have enough knowledge about them to realize they have messed up. They've messed up royally. The opportunities they had to receive Christ, they missed out on. And the image that is painted here is that of a mild lamb, yet has great power. In fact, if you want to jot down Hebrews 10.31, we could actually say the, the book of Revelation is kind of summed up in Hebrews 10.31 where it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here are people who have are being exposed to the power of God and they, they just can't stand it. But rather than call out to Him, all they want to do is hide from Him. Notice also number six there in your notes, the time frame. That's in verse 17. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, it's interesting here. Here we are. We're just at chapter 6 in the book of Revelation. We have many more chapters to go, but we're already at the end of chapter 6. We're already at the end of the tribulation period, and we'll talk about more about what all this other material is as we travel on through the rest of the book. Now, as you look at this, and if we had the time, we would read 12 through 17 again just to get a full glimpse of it. When you read this, and as I've already read it, it sounds like to me, and I hope it sounds like to you, this is the end. It's the end of the tribulation period, and the, and the call that is going out, the cry that's going out, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? In the 60s, there was a popular song by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas called Nowhere to Run. Remember that one? Nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide. 
That could be the theme song of seal number six. Folks, I want to tell you, you have any lost friends and loved ones, which we all do. We need, we need to talk to them. This is not something they want to play around with. This is not something they want to enter into thinking that they're going to be able to stand all this and so they need to be saved. And if there's anybody here tonight who's never given your life to Christ, I'm going to tell you, the Bible would say now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Call upon Him while He is near. That takes us to the end of chapter 6 and takes us into chapter 7 and verse 1. Now what we have in chapter 7 verse 1 is what we call a parenthetical section. A parenthetical section is a section that we're going to find several of these throughout our time together. And when we come to these parenthesis sections, it's important that you hear me and understand here that when we come to these parenthetical sections, they are a, they are inserted for additional information. This parenthetical section is going to last for 17 verses. But it's important that you understand that when we have these parentheses, they do not follow chronologically in the material before or after. But they are there to give, they're there for certain reasons. In fact, I've listed three of them. First of all, they're there as rest periods for John. Every now and then throughout this Revelation account, as John is being exposed to and it's being revealed to him, this, this disclosure of the revelation of Jesus Christ, Every now and then, it's just more than he can take in. And he has these rest periods or respite periods where he can just rest and think about what he's experiencing. Also, they are events that happen near the end. And so each time we have one of these parenthesis times, it's talking about events that happen near the end, but also they add detail not previously given. Now, I shared with you earlier on in, in uh, as we started in chapter 4 of how the Lord unrolled this and unveiled this revelation in such a way that it gives information and then more detail and more detail. And we're going to see this as we travel through the book. Now, it's important that you understand that number uh, chapter 7 is parenthetical because this is one of the sections that causes people confusion as they read this, as we typically read books front to back, cover to cover, chronologically. We just think everything kind of falls in order. And this is one of those sections that doesn't fall chronologically in order, but is given to add greater detail. We've got to move on. Notice the preface to the content. Look at chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. After these things, key marker here, here's our phrase, our little phrase we've heard before, meta tauta. This reminds us we have a, a new section of information. We have had this phrase before and we'll have it again. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, one of the things you can see right there in verse 3 is this information is talking about and giving us detail of events prior to what we've just studied. Because we just finished reading about the sixth seal where the whole solar system is convulsing and the whole earth is, is shaken up with this earthquake that we just read about. And so this material actually takes us back in time a little bit and giving us detail of things previously had happened. Actually, what chapter 7 is, is an answer to a question posed in chapter 6, verse 17. Notice the verse there. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who 
is able to stand. Chapter 7 of Revelation is telling the answer to the question, who is able to stand? In other words, when, when death happens, when there is martyrdom, when there is execution, when people are dying during the tribulation period, there are some people who are going to live through that and they are not going to be susceptible to death and there has to be some reason or rationale how they're able to live through the tribulation period and the answer is disclosed for us right here in chapter 7. A couple of things you might want to jot down there. You notice the people. You could just, this. I'm still in point number two here. You might notice the people here as referred to here and also their description and we're going to come back to that. Now notice as we travel through this, look what he says in verse 4. He says, I heard the number of those who were sealed. Now let me back up this seal. The idea of being sealed, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the Bible talks about. But here we have a seal that is going to be placed on a certain number of people and it's going to be a seal of protection that God will seal them, brand them, tattoo them, if you uh, want to use that. And I'm not encouraging you to go out and get a tattoo. This is what God's going to do to us. And so when he tattoos you, it's okay. But so this the protection that God's going to provide these people. And notice what we have here. Let's read on, verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, where 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Now, what we have here, there are different people who have tried to spiritualize this, to say this is, this is the church. It's not the church. That these are angels. These folks are not angels. These are people. These are people that are going to be living on the earth and they're going to be sealed with the protection of God whereby they will not be susceptible to the death and destruction and the mayhem that's going to happen during the tribulation period. Now, there's at least four reasons why we can say that these 144,000, it's a literal number. The Bible, some people have tried to spiritualize this to say, well, it's just that 144,000 is just kind of an arbitrary number. I mean, how do you come up with an arbitrary 144,000? You just, you just wouldn't. It's a specific number. At least four different ways we know it's a real number. First of all, it's given specific number, 144,000. Also, we have a reading here of 12 tribes of 12,000 each. You're probably sitting there wondering, Brother Tom, our time's passing by. Why are you reading all that? Because we're going to read this whole book in our time together. We're not going to leave anything out. And so it's listed there. Also, we find in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, this same 144,000 are still alive at that point, after all this destruction going on, on the earth, and also there is uniqueness to this list. If you want to have fun, go back to the Old Testament, look at the list, get down to your legal pad, and jot down the 12 tribes and the way in which they were born, and those guys, and the, how they, the, or their birth order. And notice the list here. This is a unique list. And so the, the author gives great space and time to delineate these 144,000. We've got to move on. Number three, notice the multitudes of people. First of all, notice their description. They are referred to as a great multitude or a great crowd. 
a great crowd. Notice verse verse 9 here. After these things, and again, metatalto, another shift in focus here. The shift in focus is John has been allowed to see the 144,000 who are sealed on earth, and now a shift in focus, he's caused to see things in heaven. John can't see two things at one time. So the shift from earth to heaven. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of great tribulation, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's fill in the blanks here. First of all, notice their description. It is a great crowd. It's a great multitude of people. We've, we found this number before. It's a myriad. It's a, it's a number that is very difficult to number. In fact, Jesus, it's often referred to in the crowds, the multitudes that gathered around to hear Jesus teach. They were referred to as an innumerable multitude of people. Well, obviously, it took enough time they could actually number them, but it was just so thick with people it was difficult to say one, two, three. You just couldn't hardly do it. Notice also their location. They are before the throne and they are before the Lamb. Their location then is, where's the throne and where's the Lamb? In heaven. So there, this great crowd, this great multitude is in heaven. That's critical. Letter C, their clothing, white robes. Again, we have these white robes. White robes speaking of inner purity, the righteousness of the saints given to us by imputation from the Lord. When He declares us righteous at salvation, we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And this white robe is indicative of that. Their praise is salvation to our God. They are singing salvation to our God. Now, let me just uh, put a little note here. As I, I kind of mentioned this last Sunday morning just in, in the beginning of our worship time over in the fellowship hall. But I just want to share with you and remind you that God loves loud praise. Here we have this crowd, this multitude of people, and they're lifting up their voices and praising God, top of their voice. Now, there, there, it's true, there's times to be silent. The Bible also says, be still and know that I am God. But our God loves loud praise. It doesn't need to be screaming. It doesn't have to be uncontrolled, but He loves us to open up our voices and just praise Him. I'm talking about out of the gut. I mean, out of our spirit, just filled with His Spirit. Some of you all being kind of messed up and worried about these, what I talked about a couple of weeks ago about singing. One of the things about good theology is you don't have to worry about those songs. You, with the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your God, man, you can sing those songs, you can look at those screens, and, man, and one of the things about it, once you have 
solid theology in your heart, man, you will open up your voice and you'll sing because it's more than words on the screen. It's truth right out of the Word of God. So don't let what I said a couple of weeks wig you out. Just open up your mouth and praise and sing to the Lord. Notice also their identification. Their identification is they are tribulation saints. And notice what it says here. I love this. It says they made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Moms spend precious time and energy trying to get blood out of white football uniforms. I mean, it's a tough task. And here we have the ironic twist of people who are made white by the blood of the Lamb. Love the song. I wish we had time to sing it. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Maybe we can get or like to sing that for us one day soon. Letter F, their work. Their work is serving God. Look at verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And notice also, finally, in letter G here, their satisfaction is they are totally protected. Verse 16 and 17, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He'll protect them. That's the idea of a shepherd. He will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The first of two times that phrase will be found in the book of Revelation. And now notice chapter 8 verse 1 and the opening of the seventh seal. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. Now notice what we have here. Think about all that John has experienced. John's been taken to heaven. He's been focusing on this one sitting on the throne. There have been all these, there have been these four living creatures, the 24 elders, the great multitude praising God. There's been this cry out as, as we, as he began to consider this scroll that was in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And there was a call that reverberated out from one of those angels. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to look and, and to see its contents? And no one was found. And, and John's crying out. And there's been all this work going on. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, they've been galloping off the page into history and, and, and into the future, actually. And there's been all this great earthquake. And then at the opening of the seventh seal, the Bible says there was silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. And we're going to have to stop right there. And next week, we'll talk about that seventh seal. Now, I don't believe this is true, ladies, but I've had people tell me that the re- this is one of the proof texts that women are not going to be in heaven. <laughs> no truth in that. I'm just, don't, don't shoot the messenger. You're going to be there. There's going to be silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. And probably what's going to happen here is the end of the end is upon them. And there's just a moment of mourning, a moment of time passing here as all of the hosts of heaven are now caused to be at attention to focus on what's about to happen on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you right now, I want to thank you so much for our time together. I know this was just so fast and so much here that we would love to be able to unpack. And thank the Lord, thank you, Father, that we can unpack it more in the future, and we can even see it unpacked one day. Equip us and empower us for the days ahead, for it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.